today comes from Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, from the New Revised Standard Version. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should listen to him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet you want them to stop laboring. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people, as well as their supervisors, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will pay attention to it and not to deceptive words. Our second scripture reading also is taken from the book of Exodus in chapter 5. And this is picking up at verse 19. It says here, the Israelite supervisors saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you shall not lessen your daily number of bricks. And as they left Pharaoh, they came upon Moses and Aaron, who were waiting to meet them. The Lord said to them, the Lord, look upon you and judge you have brought us into bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, why have you mistreated this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated this people, and you have done nothing at all to deliver your people. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Great God, give us the discernment of your Holy Spirit that we may come to a better understanding and appreciation of your word and your message for us today. Amen. Why? Why have you mistreated your people? That's what Moses said to God. And they pretty much sum up his frustration. God's chosen servant, Moses. Last week I spoke of how God called Moses from the burning bush, and he came speaking out of the flames of that bush, saying, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, Moses, the king of Egypt, 
And I will bring my people up out of that land and into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You will be prosperous, you will be safe, and you will be secure, no longer to be held as slaves in Egypt. And you know, even though Moses was reluctant, even though Moses pushed back and and made a whole case against himself for going to speak to Pharaoh, after all of that, he obeyed. He did exactly what God asked him to do. He leaves the safe haven of his home, and he makes this long trek to Egypt. And while he is on this journey, he meets up with his brother Aaron. And together they go to announce to the people there who are oppressed in Egypt this good news that God is going to come and liberate them. Now is the time when God will act to make you free. And the Bible says this, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had given heed to the Israelites and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. A great swell of excitement began to ripple among the people and the tribes of Israel because the moment of liberation had come. Moses, he's excited also because he's seeing that now God's plan is going to come to fruition and he's going to be a prominent part of it. It's like they were saying, Moses, you are the rock star. Then he and his brother Aaron take the next step. And just as God had instructed him, remember, Moses is obeying God. He makes the journey to the house of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he utters these words to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. What a bold act this was on Moses' part, you know, as he is... uh, plotting his way to the house of Pharaoh, this seat of political and military power, he is willing to confront this supreme leader, the most powerful man at that time. Now, I don't know how he gained entrance into the Pharaoh's house, but we do know that when he did, he got right up into his face and said to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Moses. You're doing all the right things. But that's when the troubles began. Far from being impressed, Pharaoh looks at Moses and his brother there, and he says, who is the Lord that I should heed him? I don't know who this Lord is. I am not going to let your people go. And he was not threatened at all were compelled to do as Moses had instructed and requested of him to do. And then, as if to rub their noses in it, Pharaoh says, well, I'm going to make life worse for you. Make the workload more difficult. And he says this, he says, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as they did before. In these ancient times, you mixed straw uh, with the clay to make the bricks that look something like this. And you mixed it in there, and uh, it made the bricks stronger. And he's saying that, you know, the Egyptians would supply the straw, and the Israelites, they would make the bricks out of the clay. And he says, nope, you get your own straw, but you are going to be required to make just as many bricks as you did before. Moses incurred the wrath of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But more painful than this, 
Moses has now incurred the wrath of his own people. The ones who were calling him, you know, the great hero, the rock star, the very ones so excited and hopeful. And they, now they're pointing the finger at him. You know how hard life has now become because of you, your actions against the Pharaoh. For generations we have been brutalized by this, uh, the Pharaoh's whip toiling in the hot sun, laying bricks for buildings where we will never even be able to live with no land to call our own, and now because of your actions, he has laid this further hardship upon us. He says this, you have brought us into a bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword into his hand to kill us. So much for Moses being the popular rock star. And as I look at Moses, you know, who has incurred the wrath of both his enemies and his friends, it kind of reminds me about this man. His name was Joe. He woke up one morning, and before he could get out of the house to head to work, he received four phone calls from four different people across the country. These were clients of his, and each one had an urgent problem. And they said, you need to get on a plane, and you need to come out here and take care of it. And he told his wife, forget about breakfast. And he rushed out of the house. He stepped into his car. He turned the ignition onto his car. It wouldn't start. And so he called a taxi. And while he was doing, after he got off the phone, his mother called him and told her, the power was out in his house, in her house. He had to come over and fix it. Well, when that taxi came and he stepped in, he said, well, where am I going to take you? He said, it doesn't really matter because I have trouble everywhere. I am. Moses had trouble everywhere. And I find myself sympathetic toward him. Oh, Lord, why have you mistreated your people? Why did you ever send me? You know, I've done exactly what you said. My Lord, I've conveyed your words of hope and promise, and I've had nothing but hostility because of it. Moses reflects on that encounter that he had with God at the burning bush when God told him he was the one to lead his people out, and Moses said, no, I'm not the right person for this. And it's, and it's almost as if Moses is saying, I told you so. I was not the right person for you to send to the seat of of power. Now those words of Moses, they echo the sentiment of many servants of the Lord. And for as long as God has been calling people out for a special purpose to serve him, as long as he has required of them to perform certain tasks in his name, there have been similar kinds of questions. You know, we would like to think that when we follow God's will, it will result in good and positive results for us. When we are sincerely seeking to do God's will, we should have fewer, not more, trouble. And I would like to be able to stand here as your pastor and just say, you know, if you would just get your relationship with God in order and it's where it needs to be, all the pieces of your life are going to fall right into place. You'll be prosperous, you'll be happy, and you'll be healthy. It makes sense that if God is going to be the guiding force in your life, you should be the better for it. Yet scripture does not bear that out. It's the very people who God calls for a special purpose who seem to have to undergo a special kind of suffering. Ask the prophets of the Old Testament called to speak on God's behalf, oftentimes a troubling word to the people. Jeremiah, he was referred to as the weeping 
prophet because of the words that he conveyed to the people of Israel and the backlash that he had to endure because of it. And so we wonder, what is it that we are supposed to do when doing God's will actually makes things worse? What do we do when obedience brings trouble? And so when I picture Moses pacing back and forth, wringing his hands, it reminds me how often the events in my life oftentimes don't go according to plan. You know, we form in our minds, you know, the direction that we want our lives to go. You know, what kind of career am I going to embark on? What school am I going to attend? What, you know, uh, are my children's lives going to look like? Well, oftentimes those plans in life have a way of getting derailed. Having just come from the military, I can tell you that the military is an organization that is big on planning. They have this, this planning process for making military decisions, MDMP, military decision-making process. And these are the, the process you go through to publish an operations order. And after, you know, this considerable process takes place, an, an execution order is provided to all the participants, how much, you know, supplies you need, how many contingencies there are, and at the bottom of this operations order, it says, subject to change. Napoleon was asked one time, when does your battle strategy end? And he says, usually after the first few shots in the battle. Moses, you know, he had a plan. He had it in his mind. Well, God, you said you're going to deliver the people, our people, your people. And so, you know, he had in his mind what that was going to look like. But, you know, God had warned him that there would be pushback and backlash. But Moses' mind was hoping for something different. So know this, that when things don't fall into place the way we think they should, remember that God is the master planner, not us. He is the one who shapes his ultimate purpose on his terms and not ours. And this is also why, you know, to say that, uh, you know, God's timing and our timing aren't always the same either. Like Moses, we want to see the results of, of our actions, and we want to see them happen right now because we are people of the clock and deadlines. We are able to prepare instant food and send instant messages across the country and the world and receive instant news and we're prone to think, you know, that God should work the same way. Moses' attitude was, okay, God, I've done what you've asked. Now open the gate and let us get out of here. But God had his own timetable, his own terms for releasing his people. The Hebrew people, they needed time to fully appreciate and be shaped by God's redemptive power. And this was a process which to them and Moses seemed to move way too slow. God was slow. And he was deliberately slow because they needed that time. Now you think back over your life and, and think of some of the struggles that you have gone through. And it seemed that God was nowhere to be found. Times when you were languishing in grief. Times when 
you were struck down with a debilitating illness or someone you loved was struck down. And a whole brickload of responsibility was dumped on you. And it seemed like God was nowhere to be found until maybe years later you look back and you say, my gosh, God was there all, all along. And God was doing his work with me at the very times you felt most abandoned. This deliberate slowness of God continued as his plan with his people unfolded. God, we are told, hardened Pharaoh's heart, making him even more resistant to God's people. And after months of demonstrating his powerful deeds to Pharaoh, known as the Ten Plagues, the time finally came when Pharaoh said, Go. And when Pharaoh relented and allowed them to leave Egypt, the Bible says this. It says, He didn't lead them directly to the promised land. Rather, he took them in a roundabout way through the desert. He deliberately wanted to lead them into the desert for a period of time to prepare them to enter the promised land. For 40 years, they wandered in this wilderness, and all the while they were asking, when, oh God, will we enter that land of promise? God allowed them to enter only after they were ready after the appropriate time had passed. You know, in this molding and the shaping of God's people over time was accomplished in the hardship of the desert, that barren, unrelenting, fierce place of deprivation. It's an ongoing theme in the Bible that God works his redemption more often in times of trouble than when times are easy. You know, if God allowed his people you know, to be trouble-free, if he just kind of scooped them up and placed them into this land of promise, of prosperity and abundance, you know, they would have said, you know, we didn't really need God, did we? You know, we could have done this on our own. They needed to have the, the vulnerability of experiencing the desert because they had to depend on God to sustain them. Where the food was scarce, the water even scarcer, and the sun beating down upon them, sapping them of their bodily strength, where enemies and wild animals attacked them, that is when they had to rely on God and not themselves to see them through. So what can we expect? When we obey God's will, security, abundance, happiness, more often it's trouble. Not only can it stir up angst in an adversary, those you may be set up against, but also the very people you love the most, those who support you and need you the most. You know, those who follow God's will find themselves exactly where Moses found himself, and that was in between. In between God pulling him one direction and and God's people pulling him another. And you know this, that, know this though, that when, when you are caught in between, that's when God's doing tremendous things with you. When the arrows are flying in the various directions and the people shooting those arrows, that's when God is doing his most significant work. He's doing it with you. He's doing it with the others who are involved. He's doing it with his eternal plan that is done on his terms. Amen and amen.
now to him who by the power